George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, was arrested by Minneapolis police officers after a Delhi employee called 911 and accused him of buying a pack of cigarettes with a counterfeit $20 bill. Three officers pinned Floyd to the ground for eight minutes and 46 seconds, killing him. Worldwide protests followed the crime and renewed the conversation about Black Lives Matter. Welcome to Past Deadline, a Central Michigan Life podcast that focuses on discussing recent news. This week, we'll be talking about the experiences of three reporters who have covered different Black Lives Matter protests in Michigan with special guest Mark Johnson from the Lansing State Journal. First, we'll be talking to Courtney Peterson, the features editor for Central Michigan Life. Courtney covered the two Mount Pleasant Black Lives Matter marches on May 31st and June 1st. Courtney, what were you expecting going into the march as a journalist covering the event? I wasn't really sure what to expect, in all honesty. When we got there, there weren't, a, there weren't a lot of people there. And I thought it was really weird because the first one we went to was on the corner. Like, everyone met, like, right in front of Red Lobster on, like, Mission Street. And I was like, okay, like, this is an interesting spot to, like, start of, like, protest, you know? But I think it was really interesting when we, like, got to because people just kept coming because people got there early. A lot of people got there at, like, I want to say, like, I heard that people started getting there at 2.30 or before, but I didn't get there until, like, 3.30, and there still weren't a lot of people, but then people just started flooding in. But I think it was really interesting because no one knew where we were marching. People were just marching. We, we would, like, ask people, hey, do you know where we're mar- marching? And they go, no. And we were just going. Like, it was wild because no one really cared. But I just think it was – I wasn't really expecting anything. Um, but I definitely did like thought they would be, I definitely thought that they would be peaceful the whole time just because it is Mount Pleasant. So I guess it's good that they were. Can you describe the crowd of protesters when you first arrived? So the first one, when we first arrived, it was there, everyone there, like, obviously, um, they were angry and they just had their signs. And then some guy just started talking with a bullhorn. And then we later found out that he was the speaker for the event, like a guest speaker. And that was really interesting. Um, there was this guy, and he was actually there, and he had, like, an AR-20 or something, like, this big-ass gun, and he's just sitting there with his gun, and he has on, like, this black vest with the American flag on it, and, like, a lot of people were thinking that he was, like, like, no one knew why he was there at first, but then he later ended up telling everyone that he was there to, like, protect, like, um, the black lives, essentially. Like, he tar- and then he created the love militia, is what he called it. And he's like, yeah, I'm part of the love militia. Join the love militia. And then he told the guest speaker that he would, like, um, follow him around the rest of the state. Like, and, like, protect him, which was really cool, I think. And then everyone was just, like, really, like, there for one another, which was really cool. And then when we got to the, um, then the second protest, which is the one that was on CMU's campus, that one was really cool because um, it was a lot more people. I would say, like, it was, like, probably at least three times the size of the first one. But so everyone was there. It was interesting because everyone had masks. And then, like, Ari Harris and a couple other people from our university were trying to get, like, hand out masks for other people. But, like, that one was the, – f- the second one was, like, way more, like, chill at first because, like, no one really started chanting until – like, it was, like, started, but before the other one, people were just chanting and going, so it was interesting. So, Courtney, at your march, um, people 
demonstrated um, Floyd's death. They laid down and held their hands behind their back and they shouted, I can't breathe for nine minutes, right? Mm-hmm. How was that, that whole scene of people just laying down on the pavement? How powerful was that? It was really powerful. And I, I didn't do it because I was like taking photos and obviously reporting on it. But it was really powerful. And a lot of the people I talked to, like I talked to a professor the other day and she said that she was a part of it. And when she did it, it was really like she did it. And then she was like, but I got to get up and I got to walk away from that. Well, I guess she already understood, but she just said it was really powerful knowing that she was able to get up. And, like, I don't know, I think it was a really good way to show people not only, like, that that's what he had to go through, but also to, like, kind of um, explain explain more, like, white privilege to people. Because I think that, like, obviously a lot of people there, like, were, like, we're white, like, we're, we're in Mount Pleasant. So there's a lot of us are, uh, a lot of people are um, white. There's There are people of color, and there were a lot of people of color there, but people of all races were there. And I think it was really interesting just to, like, see how everyone reacted to it. And it was just so powerful for so many people and, like, so powerful to watch. Like, some of the reactions people had when they got up, like, people were crying. Like, it was just so powerful to see. So you saw Davies there, right? Yeah. What was it like seeing the president of the university at the Black Lives Matter protest, Mount Pleasant? Uh, I think it was really interesting because... It wasn't just Davies who was there, you know, like there were like A.T. Miller was there. A.T. Miller was actually at both of them. There were like a bunch of other people, like the mayor from Mount Pleasant was there. Like it was really cool to see all of these people coming together because at first I really expected it to just be a lot of teenagers or like college students, but it wasn't. Like a lot of community members, a lot of administrators, like a lot of people all came out to support, which was really cool and like really like especially like talking to Davies like he he was like yeah I'm here to support my like our students and they organized this like I'm here to support them which is really cool. Can you share a story that maybe somebody told you um that stuck with you the most like a story relating to Black Lives Matter? Um so this one there was this one girl and I she was a Mount Pleasant resident and she was 18 and her and her brother were both there and her brother was 16. And they were talking about what it was like to like, grow up in Mount Pleasant. Like, and, like, to grow up in Mount Pleasant being black. Like, they were, she was talking about how she, whenever she left her house, she lived, in this, she lived in the same house for 16 years. And every single time that she left her house, or, like, people would come up and ask her why they were there. Like, people would still just come up and be like, why are you here? Like, are you lost? Like, but... She lived there, and she was talking about how her dad's a surgeon, and it was just really powerful. Okay, I've lived here for, I'm 18, so 18 years I've lived in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. I've lived in the same house for 15 years. And to this day, when I go outside my house, my dad goes outside my house, white people will come up to us, ask us, what are you doing here? How can I help you? What can I do for you? My dad is a surgeon. People refuse to get treatment from him. That was community member Erica Kudrow speaking at the protest on May 31st in Mount Pleasant. So how surprised were you that this was such a peaceful protest in Mount Pleasant? Like, I mean, I wasn't like 
necessarily surprised, I guess, because we are a small town. I think I was more surprised just by the, like, amount of people because we're, like, a rural, rural small town that is a lot of the time thought of as conservative. So I thought it was really cool that so many people were brought together by this protest. And it was really cool because the cops all came out and they helped guide us down the street. Like, we had, like, the cops were there blocking off roads and just helping make sure it was, like, safe. And then, um, actually, um, Paul Loria, the police of chief, the chief of police of Mount Pleasant, uh, police department, like, walked with everyone, and he was, like, and he was in his, like, normal everyday clothes, which was really cool, and, like, everyone, like, was really respectful, respectful to the police, too, which was, like, good to see, because, and, like, this one, like, one of the speakers actually, like, it was, like, not all police are bad. And, like, she made sure that she made the point that, like, some police are good and that it's the job of the police officers to call out the bad police officers. Today is just the first day. Just the first! Yeah. This day matters. But it's not the most important day. Let me tell you what the most important day is. The most important day is when you guys go to work, when you go to school, when you tuck your babies in at night and you tell them a story. Tell them story and tell them the truth. Tell them how people in this country are affected. Tell them how people don't have their rights. Tell them the statistics of black people not getting loans, not getting paid. Tell them that all of our lives matter. When you tuck your kids in, tell them that everybody is worthy of love and respect and kindness. Member Pia Nemechek spoke during the march to downtown Mount Pleasant on May 31st. We're here with Mark Johnson, a Central Michigan University alumnus and former CM lifer. Mark works for the Lansing State Journal as an education reporter. On May 31st, Mark covered the Black Lives Matter protest in Lansing. To start, Mark, you were um, at the um, Lansing pro- Black Lives Matter protest. So um, can you just kind of explain the atmosphere of the protest to us? Yeah, when I, um, it had been going on all day. Um, I didn't cover it the whole time. It started, they met at the Capitol in Lansing, and then they marched to East Lansing, and then back to Lansing, which is a pretty good walk. And um, when they got, it had been mostly peaceful all day from what I had been seeing. When I got there, um, it was kind of split up into two groups. There was um, a significant amount of people on the Capitol steps uh, protesting. Uh, you know, there's no issues there. There was other groups that were going around. There was like a guy on a motorcycle and people speeding around downtown. And it, it stayed uh, uh, mostly calm and, and peaceful the whole time. And uh, people, you know, just the atmosphere was people were just frustrated, you know, seeing you know, another example of a black person being killed by a police officer. And so they were there to let their voices be heard and to vent their frustrations. And um, so it, it started like a, a typical protest, uh, but kind of as the night got on, um, you know, the police were out and um, um, really I was um, standing um, 
to the side of some police officers. They were all lined up, kind of looked like they were getting ready to sweep the streets. And then they shot uh, what appeared to be tear gas, and, and that kind of got things going, and things got a little chaotic from there. That was about 8 o'clock at night. What time would you say you got there? I got there about 7.30. Um, I actually wasn't scheduled to work. We had some other reporters who had been working all day, walking back and forth from East Lansing back to Lansing. So they had tons of miles in. And I was just coming back to, I was called in to relieve them and just kind of keep an eye on things. You know, we weren't expecting anything to get too crazy. Um, But um, yeah, I showed up just to make sure things didn't get out of hand and um, covered for the rest of the night. Uh, What were the events leading up to getting tear gassed? And what was it like getting tear gassed? Um, Well, there was was a group sitting in front of the police on the ground and some were yelling at them and um, saying, you know, is this what justice looks like and and things are policing or something? What they were kind of questioning what they were doing. And, um, you know, you kind of noticed something was going to happen as the police officers started lining up, blocking a street one way, and you could tell that they were getting ready to start sweeping the streets. And so the, the, I, I, you could feel the tension kind of rising a little bit. And then finally uh, an officer or two stepped forward and, and started shooting the canisters out. And then from there it was just a rush to get away and you know, try not to get the tear gas in. Unfortunately, I got a little bit, and it stung pretty good. I mean, I, you know, once I once the, the police officers were in front of me, I, I couldn't see, I could hardly breathe, and uh, so I kind of ran over to the Capitol lawn where more of the peaceful protesters were, where the police weren't. Well, most of them were all peaceful, but where some protesters were standing, where the police weren't there, I saw a guy with some water and asked him for some, and he gave me some, and. Um, that helped with my breathing and stuff. Another guy came and poured some, I think he said it was water mixed with baking soda or some kind of a mixture into my eyes and that helped with the burning. And, you know, after maybe five, six, seven minutes, I was able to get my sight back without any pain and, and get back to covering again. But it was, it was a little scary. I'd been, you know, cover, following Twitter and, you know, all the other protests going on and seeing these other reporters and um, protesters getting tear gas shot with rubber bullets and everything else. So it was a little scary at first because I didn't know what was going to happen, but it, it didn't end up being, you know, for outside of a few minutes, it wasn't too bad. So um, relatively the, um, the protesters actions were peaceful leading up to the tear gas canisters being shot there in my, my time there it was, but um, before I started covering a um, it's still being reported, but a car, I uh, drove into the protest and the person was arrested. And um, from there, the car was flipped on its side. Um, the windows were broken out and eventually it was set on fire. So when I got there, it was just this heap of, you know, there was just the frame, you know, it was all burnt up and ashes were co- It was covered in ashes and, you know, you could hardly tell it was a car. But um, it, it got a little crazy there. Actually, I think the police chief called, you know, the burning of the car and flipping of the car kind of the turning point in the protest. And from what I was seeing, that, that kind of was from there, it, things started to get a little more intense. Were there a lot of police officers there? Yeah, there, there were, uh, you know, just, it looked like Lansing Police Department, um, the Sheriff's Department from um, Ingham County, I think a couple different Sheriff's Departments. There was some guy, some kind of a tactical unit 
they were wearing just uh, military green suits and um, had some kind of um, some kind of rifles they were holding. Most of the other officers had um, um, batons and they might have had uh, handguns on their um, in their belt. But yeah, there was a significant amount of police. How did the Black Lives Matter protests compare to the quarantine protesters that had guns in the um, Capitol? Um, well, I think, I mean, both of them had a, a good amount of, of people, but the Black Lives Matter protests definitely ended up uh, more violent than, I mean, uh, more violent than the um, stay-at-home order protest. You know, there wasn't, um, I think there may have been a handful of arrests at the um, stay-at-home protest. And um, for the most part, there was, from what I saw, I wasn't covering it, but from what I saw, there was a good amount of peace um, between the police and the protesters. There were, you've seen the pictures and the videos that have gone around the internet of, of protesters that were um, screaming and yelling in the faces of the police inside the Capitol. And some even went inside, um, I believe it was the Senate chambers, um, you know, with their, their rifles. Um, I mean, but again, I wasn't there, so I couldn't feel the tension. I just saw it on video, but it feels like there was a lot more, you could, you could really feel the tension at the Black Lives Matter protest. And, um, I think the, the arrest numbers and, and the police presence kind of speaks for itself. So what was it like being like reporting on the Black Lives Matter protests? Mm-hmm. It's something I never thought I would be, you know, maybe not this soon, not in, not in Michigan that I would be covering. Um, you know, I, I think it was Thursday or Friday night is when I really started following, you know, I was staying up until one o'clock in the morning, just following Twitter and seeing these protests going on in Minnesota and Chicago, and New York and all these places, Detroit. And, um, you know, seeing, you know, some innocent protesters getting beaten and shot, you know, with rubber bullets and tear gassed and as well as reporters. So, you know, I, th- I think it was I was working on Saturday and I was called down to just check the Capitol to make sure there were any protests going on. And quite honestly, I was, I was scared. I was, I was getting, you know, I had about a 15 minute drive. So I was trying to psych myself up and, you know, be ready to get out and, you know, talk to as many people as I can, but, you know, keep myself safe. But um, there wasn't any protests going on that night. Um, But I had just been sitting down for a steak with my brother when I got called to go down to this, the protest on Sunday. And it was scary, but you know, once it once I got there and really got going, you know, you know, at that point, I just felt you know it's my job to record what's going on, to you know, look for any instances where people where there's violence, where people are getting hurt, and as well to look at the you know get the message of why people are there. So after seeing so many other reporters telling these stories and seeing thousands, you know, millions of people around the country coming out to these protests to to um, voice their um, concerns, voice their frustrations um, with police brutality. You know, I really saw it as my job to get out there and talk to these people. So, you know, I was able to flip the switch and and really just focus on telling their stories and and following what's going on. We've read and um, seen articles where people are saying journalists have put themselves in that position to be targeted by police. Can you explain to us some the role that journalism that journalists play in covering protests. Yeah, we 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 tell everyone who's not there, and we show what's going on. I mean, there's so many instances. If 
they weren't journalists covering, you know, these protests. I don't think, you know, I don't think people would still be, I mean, it'd be a big difference. I don't think people would notice how big the situation has become. We wouldn't, people wouldn't be seeing these videos and photos of, you know, people getting beaten, of people getting tear gassed. And, um, you know, our, our role is to make sure that, you know, we record that and, you know, put this on the record so people can go back and see what's happening in these cities. And, you know, as a, again, as a journalist, you know, that looking at, you know, Minnesota and New York and all these places, you're really getting to see um, what's going on there. And if it wasn't for them, you know, I don't, there wouldn't be as clear of a picture. You wouldn't understand what's going on. Have you covered any other protests or anything um, with that would like with a similar um, atmosphere or um, message or to the, the protest? Yeah, um, it wasn't really a similar message, but um, my first job or it was my my last job, I was working for the Traverse City Record Eagle, and I covered what turned into be a pretty big protest in Kalkaska, Michigan. Um, it involved the uh, the um, the village president there. He had uh, um, said some questionable things, and um, a lot of people took it. You know, the the coverage and the the uh, the 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 people who were against him people saw it as you know a, a, an attack on president trump and a lot of these things so there it turned into a pretty significant protest there are a lot of guys walking around uh, open carrying large rifles and you know guns on their hips and at times it got pretty heated there's you know people it was a more one-on-one -on -one, you know arguments screaming at each other but for the most part it was it was quiet there was police there not nearly what we saw in lansing um, but there were police there and it, it stayed peaceful. Um, but that was my big, that was my first experience covering a significant protest and it was a little nerve wracking, but all in all, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, too strenuous or too intense um, like what we're seeing now, not nearly what we're seeing now. Um, you keep mentioning like the tension mm. at the um, protest. Can you just kind of describe that a little bit more? Yeah, well, it was, it was it was really odd watching it all unfold. It was like a game of almost like a game of cat and mouse. Really, the the protesters, uh, you know, they started by the whole, th you know, the when everything kind of um, went a little crazy. The protesters, most of them, there was a group of them anyway, sitting on a street on in front of the the police, and you know, as they're you know, before they had been sitting, they started advancing a little bit, and you could kind of you know start to feel that something's going on that, you know, something's going to happen, that either they're going to start arresting people or, you know, who knows what's going to happen. After seeing everything that's on TV uh, that had been happening in other protests, you know, I, I think they're starting to get a little concerned, like, okay, what's going to happen next? And so they, they did that first round, and, and then it would quiet down a little bit more, but then they'd start to um, group up together again, and, and you could tell they were trying to clear streets off one at a time. And, um, you know, every time they started getting ready, you could feel the tension getting ready. People were getting ready to run. People were, you know, maybe looking around to where they could go to. Um, for myself, I was, you know, I had a hand towel out and got it ready to put it over my mouth and to, um, to get out of the way, but try to keep close enough to, to watch what's happening. So you, you could feel that you could feel the tension for sure. So what's your response to being, um, or to seeing reporters like across the country being beat up, shot, and even arrested um, just for covering protests? Um, you said you were 
a little bit nervous to go to the protest. How like fearful are you for your safety of just being the reporter in that situation? I was really, um, you know, I went there knowing that, you know, number one, I'm going to watch out and watch for the, the protesters and make sure, you know, everything's covered right. But, you know, number two, keep my head on a swivel and, you know, make sure I'm staying out of the police's way as much as I can. And, you know, watching out for, you know, if there are, um, you know, looters or, or people who come in and, and, and start violence that, you know, I'm not in the way of that, but at the same time able to cover it. So I, I, seeing the stuff on TV, I was definitely scared. I mean, I'm seeing people, I'm seeing cameras ripped out of people's hands and, and reporters getting arrested, shot with tear gas and rubber bullets. And, it, you know, it really surprised me. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, journalists have been around for so long and, you know, our job was to, you know, hold power accountable and to see that not, they're, you know, they're getting beat up by police and by some of the protesters. So it was scary to see. And, um, I had never been in a situation like this. So going in, I was definitely scared, but you know, as it got going, you just kind of, you kind of forget about that and you remember what your job is and you know, if you get hurt, so be it. But as long as you, you know, you're, you're broadcasting, you know, if I'm posting videos and pictures as much as I can and, um, getting information for a story I'll write later, you know, it's my job and eventually I'll put out there what happened that night and hopefully, you know, other people see what's going on and can keep a watch out for themselves. And maybe this will lead to change too. So you've mentioned kind of like the um, importance it is for journalists to like attend these events and to report on what's happening. Why, why do you think we owe that to society and like the citizens? Well, you know, journalists job and other is to, you know, to record all this stuff. And when these things, you know, whenever we think back to like the, you know, the um, civil rights movement in the 60s and, you know, a lot of important pieces of American history, um, you know, journalists played a really important part of it. You know, we we publish this stuff to make sure that people don't forget and they can go back and they can see what happened. And, you know, maybe when um, leaders are maybe once this all maybe starts clearing, you know, um, leaders can look back on what happened and, and access some of our reporting and see, you know, what went wrong, you know, you know, what the misactions by the police and, um, you know, the, the reasons behind this movement and us talking to these people, they can see what, you know, the, the people they might not speak to, um, what they might see, they might be able to read about the pain that these people are experiencing that, you know, maybe otherwise wouldn't be shared. So, you know, number one is to, to make sure that the world sees, you know, this is what our government is doing and this is how they're responding to it. And, but also I think it's a way for the government to, to maybe see what for themselves, what's going on. If, if they haven't seen it clearly before, here's lots of reporting to, to see what is going on and, and to hopefully it would help make a change in the future. In addition, you were talking about how, at the protest, like, obviously, like, the, someone gave you water and, like, they helped you, like, um, to stop the burning of the tear gas. Would you say that, like, the protesters were very, um, like, had kind of a community, like, to them, so, like, they were very um, helpful to one another and kind of created a more community vibe? Or, like, what was that like? Yeah, there was, so, again, it was split into two groups, and I mostly I covered the group on the Capitol steps, but eventually I later went to, to cover the walk around the street to see what was happening. But there was definitely a community feel, you know, people were there supporting each other. 
unfortunately I didn't get to see a lot of people. Uh, I got there and they were talking, doing some speeches, but you know, everyone's got had each other's backs. Uh, people were bringing, you know, cases of water. Um, uh, people had, there were gallons of milk um, sitting around, um, you know, when another volley of gas would come through, you'd see people going from person to person with bottles of milk, pouring it in their eyes to help with the stinging. There was even one point I was walking around and, and uh, I, th I think it was a, uh, a woman and her kid came by and they were handing out granola bars to protesters from a grocery bag. So, you know, seeing that happen and, and people were making sure everyone was okay and, and, you know, thanking each other for being out. And um, there's definitely a community feel to it. In addition to like, I, well, so this is obviously um, during a, like the coronavirus pandemic. So like, were a lot of the protesters wearing masks? Were they like trying to social distance? Because like obviously you can't social distance that much during a protest. But what was that? There was, I mean, there was a good amount of people wearing masks. That was something I was also, you know, a little concerned about. I had a, I have a, a homemade mask on, and then I had like a, kind of like a scarf thing over top of it to to keep, um, to hopefully stay healthy. So far, so good. But there was a, a, a definitely a good amount of people um, um, wearing face masks for sure. That was another difference between um, this protest and the stay-at-home protest. This protest definitely had much many more people wearing face masks, and I think some were trying to social to practice social distancing. But it, it becomes hard when you have that amount of people, you know, in a space at one time. But you know, it, it kind of hit and miss. Some people there were some points where there people were trying to social distance and there are other points in the, in the pictures I saw of the marches back and forth. It, it, it may have, um, there may have not has been as much social distancing, but I think there was definitely, um, there were some people there definitely trying to, to practice, practice that and keep their mask on and, and give each other space. Yeah. Cause I covered the ones in Mount Pleasant and it was really interesting because obviously some people were wearing, like a lot of people were wearing masks, but at the same time, people who were wearing masks were hugging one another and shaking hands. So that was just an interesting thing to see. Yeah. But um, do you think covering pro like protests in the time of like the pandemic and everything's going on is going to be like, like obviously there won't be protests like this after it's all over. So do you think that's like an interesting aspect to add to it all? Yeah, very much so. That's another thing, you know, everyone has to, to take on. And I, I think that may have led to some some more, maybe why we're seeing so many people. A lot of people are out of jobs right now mm -hmm. because of the pandemic. And, you know, maybe they're frustrated from being at home. I, I know it was, it was, I was glad to be out of the house and among people again. Um, but, it, you know, it's in addition to your safety, um, you know, your own safety from, you know, um, other protesters, you know, violence and tear gas and, and rubber bullets. I didn't see any rubber bullets at our protests. But in addition to that, you're trying to keep yourself healthy. You're trying to, you know, make sure you keep your mask on and giving yourself each other space. So it was definitely a, a is really bizarre aspect to add to it. Never, I never, ever thought I would cover a protest um, where also there's, a, you know, a, a virus that's spreading, a very contagious, you know, and in, in, in some instances, deadly virus spreading around. So you're trying to protest, but at the same time, stay healthy. I mean, that was really, really crazy, but really interesting, I guess, at the same time. Something will definitely stick with me. 
So I just have one more question. So obvious, there were a lot of police officers there. When I, so the one that I covered in Mount Pleasant, it was really cool because um, the police of chief actually like walked out of uniform like in the march. That one was obviously not violent. Would you say there was that like supportive um, police officer, like um, kind of like vibe or um, just kind of support to everyone? I, I believe at the beginning of the protests, the city of Lansing and I want to say that the, the police chief uh, said something, you know, they were supporting the protests, the peaceful protests. And in an interview after the, the protest, I, the chief, you know, said that everything was fine until that, until, you know, the, the turning point of the car being flipped and burned. Um, and I, I think there was support for the peaceful protests, but when I got there, you know, it was just all I saw were police behind shields and keeping themselves, you know, all lined up and, you know, all the protesters were way over here and the police were huddled over here. So yeah, I didn't really see, you know, much support of that when I got there, but there certainly could have been more during the March. I mean, the, the protesters were allowed to get on, were got on the freeway and they, you know, walked on streets from Lansing to East Lansing and back again. And so I, I think it's pretty clear there that the police, you know, may not supported that, but um, maybe they supported it, I'm not sure. But um, they allowed it to happen. And, um, you know, it, and they put out good, nice statements um, ahead of time. So when I was there, I didn't really see too much, but um, I, I think earlier in the day there was, you know, a harmony is a bad word, but, um, you know, people were protesting peacefully and, you know, you know, everything seemed fine. I, I was watching and I really didn't think uh, the way it was going that I'd had to be called in. I thought it looked, you know, peaceful and nice. There was no disagreements between police and the protesters. Um, I mean, there may have been some, there wasn't any altercations, I guess, between police and protesters. Was, but, someone, was someone else covering it? Yeah, we had uh, two reporters who had been covering it earlier. And, um, yeah, I came in to kind of relieve them. They had been working crazy hours. Obviously, we've had, like, Black Lives Matter protests, like, across the country in the past. Like, this isn't the first time that this is all happening in response to a death. Um, but something's different about this one, for sure. Um, maybe it's because of the pandemic, or maybe it's because it's on, like, a global scale now. But do you think this is the start of something bigger? Do you think we can actually expect, like, this whole society to change because of this? I, I would think it would have to be. This is the moment where things are going to change because we're in our seventh or eighth day of protests around the world. I mean, when you look at photos and you see people in the UK, um, you know, people around the country and around the world, you know, out on their streets protesting, you know, this really seems like the turning point where something's finally going to be done. Um, or something will have to be done because I don't think these protests are going to stop until something is done. I mean, the protest started in immediate and quickly after um, the officer who had his knee on um, Floyd's neck um, or on his neck where, you know, he was arrested and charged and the calls continued to, or to have the other officers charged and shortly after they were. Um, even before that, um, there was the incident um, uh, where the men in the truck were tracing, were chasing Ahmad Arbery. Um, you know, right around this time, they were, you know, the video started coming around just before this started. And I thought that drew a lot of outrage and rightfully so. And, um, and that's, you know, that started the call. And we had two, you know, 
pub, you know, two murders that were caught on camera that millions and millions of people have seen. So maybe seeing those both at the same time on camera, um, you know, maybe really sparked and, and made people realize the violence and, you know, the danger, the dangers it is to be a black person in the United States. I think people, you know, you hear about it a lot, but when, and, and maybe some people believe in it and some people maybe think it's overblown, but when people started seeing these videos, I think really something snapped. You know, I've heard from people, you know, people I've talked to that never really thought about, you know, this issue before, but now that they're seeing these videos and these protests, you know, they're saying, wow, you know, we never understood it until now. We never, you know, some people never took it seriously, but now we have this on video. And, and I think in, on the, you know, this, um, on, on the, uh, the topic of um, violence against African-Americans, I think that's definitely at the forefront right now, as is um, violence at the hands of the police. I mean, every day we're seeing new videos from all over the country of, you know, today we saw uh, an officer push an elderly man to the ground who he got knocked out, his ear immediately, he started bleeding out of his ear and officers were just walking past. And we've seen other videos of police beating up reporters of beating up protesters, people on the ground they're beating up. I mean, I think this is shining a, a really bright spotlight on the issues in, uh, with police brutality. Um, but, you know, most importantly, we got to look at, um, you know, what's happening um, in terms of that brutality and violence against African-Americans. But we're also seeing it's, a, it's an issue in general. And if, if there isn't significant change, that comes out of this, I'd be very, very surprised. And I don't think it'll be possible. I don't think people are going to stop protesting until something changes. And, you know, it doesn't appear that there's been any changes like that yet that will, that will stop them, that will satisfy them. Do you have anything else to add? No, I mean, it's just, um, it, it's going to be, you know, it, it's really, really sad that we've come to this point, but also, I, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff that, you know, 2020 has been a terrible year with the coronavirus and with, uh, with these protests, with what's happening. But at the same time, I think this, you know, this might be a really, really tough year, but this could also be the year where things turn around, where finally there's something that changes. And for finally, you know, this violence against black people stops. And finally, people understand and maybe start listening to their stories, where they're coming from. You know, in the past, I don't think people really listened. They didn't want to listen. Maybe they didn't want to change. But, you know, with this happening and, you know, people are stuck at home, so maybe they have more time to, to really listen. Um, you know, I think this is going to be a tough year. But, you know, hopefully this is the year, you know, where our kids will look back. Like we in high school, you know, we learned about the, the civil rights movement. Hopefully this is another movement. Hopefully this is a movement where finally, you know, some changes will be made. And, um, you know, to help to, to help the black community, you know, all communities of color and to, um, you know, maybe get some of the police um, under control. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, make the point that there are good officers out there and there are, but there's a lot of bad officers from, you know, these videos we're seeing, um, you know, that need to be checked. Something needs to be done. Otherwise, people are going to continue to get hurt and um, unrightfully so. So this is going to be a tough year. It already has been, but hopefully this is the year that things start changing.
Lastly, we have Katie Hickson, the news editor for Central Michigan Life. Katie attended the Black Lives Matter March in Grand Rapids on May 30th and wrote a column on the experience. So, Katie, why did you decide to attend the protest since it wasn't, like, you weren't, like, assigned to go, you know? I, um, I saw the video that was released, um, like, a week, two weeks ago of George Floyd's death, and, um, it literally, like, terrified me. Like, to this day, I still can't, like, really watch it, like, actually, like, looking at, looking at it, like, all the way through. Um, it was, it was just horrible. And then, like, after that, like, in the weeks following, um, just videos on social media everywhere of like protests and riots and people just standing in solidarity against this. And I thought to myself, like, this is like a really historical moment that's going to be in like history textbooks. And I want to be able to tell my kids that like, yeah, I was there. Like, yeah, I participated in that. Like, I want to be able to tell um, my kids and their friends, like, yeah, I was with the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests. So when you were at the um, event. What was the atmosphere like? It was loud. Um, when I first got there, there was um, at Rosa Park Circle. It's a big um, like the ice rink, and the speaker, the organization, the organizer of the event, Asia, was up on the platform, and she was um, giving a speech about why she decided to organize the event, um, instructions for the event, and there's a bunch of other guest speakers just like um, exciting the crowd. But then um, I got closer and I started like taking pictures with my camera and there was people in the crowd going around with like giant megaphones, um, like protesting the protesters, like just like shouting like controversial things at the protesters there. So that was very interesting and like disturbing to the whole protest. Um, and then when the protest actually started, it was quiet. Like, it was a silent march. Like, people would start chants um, randomly, and it was, like, really organized. But, like, for the most part, it was, like, a quiet march throughout the city, and it was really, like, powerful to see, like, thousands of people, like, just walking down the streets in silence, just, like, honoring Floyd's death and making a stand. The Grand Rapids protest was silent at most parts, with some chanting, but mostly silent as some cars drove by and honked. Were there a lot of police officers at the event? There was not. Um, when I was going up and down the route taking pictures, um, I only saw about like three or four cop cars. Um, there were um, cops positioned on buildings, like on the roofs of buildings looking down at the march um patrolling i guess um but when we marched our way towards um the police headquarters there were um like 20 cops like barricading the door with um bicycles um which was a little bit odd but yeah there wasn't many like actual cop cars like along the whole march which was like a couple miles so yeah that was actually surprising to see not a lot of backup there. Since it was peaceful while you were there, were you surprised when it became violent? I was extremely surprised. Um, I was there for almost three hours, and it seemed like it had ended when I left. Like, everybody was still 
everybody was leaving. Everybody was going to their cars. I walked with like a group of like 50 people. We were all just like talking about like how that went so well. Cause we had all seen the um, Detroit protest the day before and how like South that went. So when we were all leaving, we're all like that could have gone so much like worse, but I'm really glad that it stayed like peaceful and powerful throughout the whole thing. And then I got home and I took a shower and I sat on my living room couch and I turned on the TV and the whole city was like gas, broken glass, smoke, fire on like cars and in alleys and buildings. And I was like in shock. I could not believe like I was there an hour ago. How did this happen? So yeah, that was definitely like super in shock there. Thank you for listening to Central Michigan Life's Past Deadline. Be sure to read our stories at cmlife.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. As of June 8th, all four Minneapolis police officers involved in the death of George Floyd are being charged. Derek Chauvin, the officer who knelt on Floyd, is being charged with murder. The three other officers are being charged with aiding and abetting. We will be followed out with the words of Gil Melvin Zion, who spoke at the march on June 1st. Thanks for joining us for Past Deadline. After everything happened, and it's just like, this is just what came to me. What is a black man to do when lost between the system and society? Can't even watch the media without getting anxiety. I get get nervous at the sight of a cop even eyeing me. While I'm serving the problem, the law, the law these officers are supposed to uphold. But instead, they hold us against our will. They aim to kill another nigga dead in the street. Underneath another white man's feet. They say we're supposed to be treated equal. But actions speak louder than words. So when you take one of ours, of course you're going to let the city burn. Go ahead, son. Immolation comes in different forms, so does justice. Just because it's not a social norm doesn't mean it's not the right way. That's right, son. Come on now. When do we stop helping people in pain? Alright. Right. Get tired of the black man dying in vain. Hey, it's okay, it's okay. COVID 19 already hard enough. We should be spreading the love. It's okay, son. Giving us a chance to live this life we live, but but in reality we're afraid to raise our kids, filling with some rage. We can do better. We can be better. And when that happens, we'll feel better. Amen, amen.